Well, I would invite you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible there, and it's page 870, excuse me, 787. And we've been reading from verse 28 all the way to the end. We're going to continue that. Um, all spared and Lord willing. I'm going to be gone next week. Our daughter's graduating, so it's a happy um, occasion for us as a family. But Lord willing, when we return, we'll finish Romans 8. So this sermon and then, Lord willing, next sermon. Okay, let's, let's hear God's word. And we know that, uh, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, and we spent time last Sunday there, he also called, those, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. That's probably a bio of the Apostle Paul's life in one sentence there, by the way. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's, let's bow and let's pray together. Just a couple of hymn lines just to help me. Blessed is the one who walks in your favor who loves all your words and hides them like treasure in the darkest place of their desperate heart. Your words are light, a strong and sure light. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. Father, please open eyes this morning to see and enlarge our hearts to know and to feel your great love for sinners who you save. For Jesus' sake, we ask this. Amen. Well, there are times in the life of God's people when a severe trial or trials, plural, will overtake them. Now, I suppose there are some Christians who mostly go through life and the sun is always shining. They are beside quiet waters and their cup is overflowing. And I am personally, I'm glad for them. 
but most of us go through periods of trial and testing, and some of us go through periods of great trial and severe testing to the point that we might think that God has abandoned us. So it's not just that dark clouds have come down on us, and it's not just that things are really tough and almost unbearable, but we are afraid and we are thinking or we think that God has forsaken us. And you're in good company if you've ever had that thought because, loved ones, we have a Savior who has uttered those exact words at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken, abandoned me? Now, his words need to be understood with great depth and care because Jesus is suffering the consequences of our sin. But Jesus knows what it feels like to be abandoned by God. And Jesus is able to verbalize it. And so because of suffering, which is the great context of Romans 8, one thing Paul does here is when things like, if your Bible's open, you'll see this, verse 35, when trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or, or the danger of death or the threat of death comes to us, ask yourself, where does he take his readers to? Where does he take his readers to? Let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't take us to ourselves. What he does He takes us where God wants us to go. He takes us to the gospel. Indeed, the full gospel. No doubt Paul is a preach to yourself a gospel everyday guy. Paul knows it's the word of God which opens our eyes in order that we can see intellectually because we have to be able to understand what we're hearing. So we can see it intellectually. We can feel it experientially. Even in the midst, as you see there in verse 29, all those thick, huge theological truths that God puts before us. But he says that because of Jesus, you are never going to be abandoned by God. Because nothing at the end there of chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so as you have a look down in your Bibles, it it seems I had this poem, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. It seemed like it was so appropriate here. You know, I love thee in depth and, and breath and so on. That's kind of sort of what Paul is doing. If you, again, verse 28, how do I, God, love you? Everything, verse 28, everything, including the bad things you do and the bad things which are done to you, they're all going to work out for good for the Christian. How, how do I love you? Verse 29, I knew you before you knew me. I had you before you had me. I loved you before you loved me. And because I loved you before there was time and before there was space, before there was anything, including you, so in our right mind, that, doesn't that just take your breath away? And then add to that, verse 29b, you are being conformed to the image of my dear son. Isn't that love? I mean, isn't it? Can you, can you imagine a higher honor? So think of it like this. Let's say you're an athlete and, and you are going to be conformed to the image. And bear with me because, you know, everybody likes some of these people and everybody doesn't, you know. You're going to be conformed to the image of Tom Brady if you're an athlete. Gail Devers, she's a sprinter in the 90s. Serena Williams, LeBron James, Elliot Kipchoge, Aaron Rodgers. Had to throw that in since he's having so much trouble lately. Let's say you're an artist and you're going to be conformed to the image of Van Gogh or Picasso or Rembrandt or Mary Beely. You're a computer person and you're going to be conformed in the image of Ada Lovelace. Or you're me, 
and, and you're going to be conformed in the image of Bob the Builder because one day I want to be able to build stuff and make it last. Now, all that stuff is kind of th- neat to think about. However, to be given the promise, the gift, that there's coming a day when we all in this room, if we're in Christ, are going to be completely conformed to the image of Christ. Doesn't that thrill you? And if it doesn't thrill you, wouldn't you want to know why it doesn't thrill you? Because here's my line of thought, to know that I will never, ever, ever sin again. I mean, aren't you tired of sinning? Aren't you tired of hurting other people when you sin against them? And aren't you tired of being hurt by other people when they sin against you? I mean, aren't you tired of the fight? Aren't you tired of trying to make a savior out of your morality, right? To try to justify yourself and and justify yourself before God and before others with your works. Aren't you tired of, you know, like, ta-da, Christianity. You do a good work and you go, ta-da. Aren't you looking forward to the day when you will never, ever do or think or say anything wrong again and you can fully, completely Love everyone perpetually, perfectly? Can you not wait for that day? And then to be able to realize God's infinite love for you. I mean, we're finite now. We can feel it, but we can't feel it. Feel it if you would. How, how do I love you, says God? All that's coming. Verse 30. Remember we said last time, this is often referred to as the the golden chain of salvation. Every link in that chain matters. Verse 30, those he also predestined. Now this time, he also called. You see it there, justified, uh, glorified. How do I love you? Two points, deep assurance, spectacular truth. Okay, deep assurance. You, You see this in verse 30, those he called. Now, I don't know if this is true anymore, but the whole thing, you know, like when you're in a relationship with somebody and you're dating, she is calling me or he is calling me thing. And, and, and in my day, if you got the call, and by the way, I was thinking this morning, I only got one of them, but if you got the call that she liked you, that was great, right? You're going to answer that call. So do you remember that? And, and, and if you're a teenager here, do you still do that? Like, do you... Do you call each other to let each other know that you like, or do you text, or do you do like a post or, or a video or something? How do you make the call so that they know, hey, I like you call? Or what about online dating services? What, I don't know, but what is the equivalent of, hey, I like you call? Very curious, right? And if you're married, or if you've been married, do you remember the first time you were called by your spouse before they became your spouse? That's how it worked out in my mind, right? So... She was going to call you, and you were really, really nervous. Okay, so the phone rings, and ask your parents if you don't know what that means, but the phone rings, and do you pick it up on the first call? (laughs) You know, that's a little, like, desperate, Joe. Don't do that. Or how about two rings, you know, two rings. Is it one ring? No. Two rings? No. Three rings? Okay, maybe four rings. You're like, you know, you're not that cool, Joe. Pick up the phone on the second ring and just get it over with, right? Calling. It's a beautiful thing to think about, but here's the point. When God called you Christian, as Paul says, he did hear, his call came through loud and clear and with effect. It was the call of the good news of the gospel, and it was effective. And when the gospel then is preached, explained, when it's sung or it's dialogued in some way to those who God has called, not in the general sense, but in the specific sense here, because that's the context. 
God's calling then is the very means that God has ordained to awaken up the person to their need of a Savior. So they hear, great sinner in the gospel, and great Savior, and then repent before the time comes and it's too late. And by God's grace, in that golden chain there, they say yes. Grace, because the very essence of grace is that it's undeserved. Called. Saving call. In verse 28, you'll see this. Those who are called according to God's purpose. Jesus said, John chapter 6, verse 21, all the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Jesus, John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give them eternal life. Salvation context. And they will never perish. In another place, Paul, Galatians 1.15, God who called me by his grace. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 and 14. We always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, an effective call that you might share in the glory of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called both Jew and Greeks. Finally, it's a familiar verse, 2 Timothy 1, 9. He saved us, and he called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And that grace was given in Christ Jesus before there was time. From beginning to end, our salvation is the grace of God, and it is the work of God. Therefore, we take no credit for this call. All credit And all glory must go to our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if he did not summon us in power, this is the point, then we would still be spiritually lost. And so the point here as another link to the chain of salvation. Because God has called you, you, and this is the good news, you and no one else can undo what God has done. The nothing can separate you from God's love in Christ thing. No thing in creation. So if anyone attacks the security of our calling, this is important. The first thing they're attacking is the God who called us. Second, if anyone attacks the security of our calling, they are attacking the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. And what they're doing is they're making an indirect claim that somehow his death on the cross was inadequate, was not enough, that something else besides that needs to be done. And third, they are attacking the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the hearing of the gospel, attacking the very act of calling itself and the Spirit's work to apply that calling to us. So, loved ones, if you are in Christ, it is ultimately because God has called you. Are you still responsible to respond to the call? Of course. We've done that week two and two weeks ago and last week. Of course you are. But ultimately, it is God who has called you. Now, back to our Bibles then. Those he called, he also justified. Okay, what is justification? Well, if you know justification, it is absolutely marvelous. Now, justification is 
that although we have sinned and still sin and prone to do evil, that we still do and think and say some incredibly terrible things so that the perfection of life, which is God's due, we cannot give. Still God, without any merit of our own, God out of mere grace, he imputes to us, he grants to us the perfect righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ as a gift. That God gives this to us as if we never had nor ever will commit any sin again. Like we never lied and we never lusted and we never had malice towards anyone. We never hated, we never slandered, etc., etc. So that in justification, God gives us the perfect righteousness of Christ as if we ourselves had accomplished all the obedience which Jesus Christ provides for us. And all that is a gift that we accept by faith. Because God says the the only way a righteous person can live is by faith. Now let's just walk through that. Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay, what is that? A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Chapter 3, verse 22, righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so, okay, why by faith? Okay, here's one reason. The only righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely, perpetually perfect. It has to be perfectly outward. It has to be perfect inwardly, and it's going to be 24-7 righteousness. So 99.99% obedience might be impressive, but it is a fail in God's mind. So it's just like 1% obedience. So I want you to ask yourself this question, okay? Why is 99.99% obedience not good enough? Why is it not good enough? Well, let's just do some practical things. If 99.99% If 99.99% of the world's population did not tell a lie today, there would still be over 800,000 lies told every day at the rate of 99.99%. 12 newborns will be given to the wrong parents every day at 99.99%. And the next minute, 806 cell calls would be misrouted. 114,500 mismatched pair of shoes will be shipped a year at that rate. Two million documents will be lost by the IRS in a year. 99.99% of flights made it to their destination. One airline flight in the U.S. would crash every two days. 17 flights would crash in the world every two days at 99.99%. Are you getting the picture? 20,000 incorrect drug, uh, drug prescriptions would be written in a year. 107 incorrect medical procedures will be performed by the end of the day today at 99.99%. This one troubled me. 5.5 million cases of soft drinks would be produced, and when you open them, they would be flat. <laughs> Can you imagine that? A flat Diet Coke would just drive me crazy. Do you have perfection on your own? Do I have it on my own? See, even our best works in this life are imperfect and inconsistent. Thus, 
the righteousness, the, the holiness of Christ must be a continual thing for us as believers to be able to stand before God, to be able to know that God hears our prayers, and in justification, and only in justification, do we have it. One last thing. Justification is bigger than forgiveness, isn't it? I mean, it, it includes forgiveness, because forgiveness is probably the most, you know, God-like thing that we can extend to others, to be able to forgive people. But you see, if justification was only forgiveness, we would still be left exactly where we were without any real change in the relationship with God. Because, okay, so you sin and you're forgiven, but the next time you sin, you're guilty and you fall out of that relationship with God once more. Then, then all our misery and all our unhappiness would come back to us again and you would have that seesaw kind of Christianity. Your whole life will be one big life of, of okay, I'm, I ain't feeling Jesus now, and I am feeling Jesus now, and I'm, I'm saved, but you know what? Am I saved because I sinned? And all of that would be based on your personal performance and not the one and done performance of Jesus Christ. So in justification, we get this gift to relate to God always through the finished work and the perfection of Christ, and we should be able to, to have that same relationship with each other. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, that's why I said, ta-da, Christianity is a lot easier. You know, I do some good work, ta-da. See, I'm holy. I have some bad days. Oh, man. Seesaw, up and down Christianity. If we had people walk down the aisle, they'd be walking down the aisle about every other Sunday. You send, okay, come back next week, we'll do this all again. When we don't need to. Not in Christ. So do you want to live that way? Do you want your whole relationship with God to be based on your personal performance? What Christian would? I mean, what Christian would? However, the apostle of Christ, Paul, what does he do? The apostle whose whole work here is to impress upon us the, the staggering truth of, of the infinite love of God for sinners who've been saved. He says justification puts us in an entirely new realm with God. It changes our status. It changes our standing before God. And even though we still sin again to our embarrassment and to my shame, our sin cannot affect us because our justification is based on someone else, Jesus Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Ask yourself, do you see everyone that you know in Christ that way, clothed with the perfection of Jesus? Or is it the rating game? His righteousness covers everything wrong about me, both now in the past, and unfortunately, what will come. So justification is like you're in the courtroom, and the judge, God says, what are you even doing here? What are you here for? You're in Christ. Get out. Go tell someone like Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> we sing this, the gift of love and righteousness. That's in Christ alone, two wonders here that I confess, my unworth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. 
Uh, this is an older hymn, No Condemnation Now I Dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, all clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach thy throne, eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. That takes us back a few centuries, but that's how to live. And aren't you glad that that's true? Aren't you glad it's true? And, and can I say this? If you want to harm your Christian children, if you want to harm your Christian marriage, and you want to harm Christ's church, then you demote justification to the back of the room. Just stick it in the back. And so you pull it out when they've really done something wrong, okay, or Easter or Christmas or, you know, maybe like a teaser to get people to like Jesus. And once they like Jesus, then boom, lower the boom on them. If you want to destroy people, then you take justification and put it in the back instead of in the front where we have it here. Justification is not a crutch. It's not an escape clause to sin. How could it be? It is an absolutely needed part of salvation. It is the heart of the gospel applied, and it is real love. That kind of I ain't quitting you love, real love. Verse 30 those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So if you look at your Bibles, you're going to notice something. It's written in the past tense. I mean, glorification is when we become like Jesus forever and ever, world without end, that transformation. Why is he writing it in the aorist tense, in the past tense? Answer, because what he wants us to know is this is an unshakable assurance. This is going to happen. In the mind of God, it's, it's already taken place. That's how certain he is. He writes, Paul, as if it's, our glorification has already happened. So just as certain as our calling, just as certain as our justification, our glorification is a done deal. Absolutely certain. Nothing can cause it to fall. Nothing can cause it to be half true. Nothing can cause it to be lessened because, because this is God. This is God. So in our glorification, what seems, and it should seem like a whole lot of steps. I mean, holiness is hard, right? Sanctification is so brutal sometimes. What seems like steps to us is, is simultaneous to God, and it is irrevocable. Glorification is God's state of mind on you. It's just, right? God has done this, and you cannot fall from grace, and you cannot fall from salvation, and you cannot fall from glorification in Christ. So from our standpoint, the only question that we should ever ask ourselves is, okay, am I converted? Am I genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ? And so I have to ask that question. I want to. Are you converted? Do you accept God's verdict on you? That, yeah, you came into this world a sinner, that you are unworthy of anything other than death and hell. I mean, that's the gospel. But do you, see, do you see because of that sentence, that death sentence, that you could for a million years work as hard as you could, like a monk or a hermit or a religious zealot, you could do all the good works you ever could, and you would still be lost at the end and have no hope except one hope. One person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved you and gave himself up for you. 
He died for you and he died for your sins so you could be clothed by faith in Christ with his righteousness and he gives you a new life with all kinds of promises that are real and not so much dependent on you. Now, the natural person is troubled by what I just said. But the called, justified, glorified person per God because God's the one doing all this, they love it. They are in awe of it. They glory in Christ. They put no confidence in their flesh because of it. Because of it. That's our first point. Deep assurance. And then finally, and we'll be brief here, uh, the spectacular truth. Verse 31. What shall we say in response to this? Some translations, what else is there left to say? Or What can we add to this? That's what he's saying. This is what Paul is doing. He's taking us, if you would, into space, as it were, in a spirit of clean, bold defiance. This This is the subversive nature of Christianity. And Paul challenges anybody and everybody, whether they're in heaven or earth or hell, this is, this is the, the, the lion in the Wizard of Oz, you remember? He's like, when he would be like, put him up, put him up, right? Bring it on, bring it on. No, he's a coward, but you understand. Bring it on. This is, this is our drop the mic moment. What else is there left to say? What else can we add to this? Because no one, nothing can harm the people whom God has foreknown and predestined and called and justified and glorified. So let anyone spew out any condemnation on you, Christian. You know, like in the, in the, the tabloids, well, and Jimmy Superstar, whoever he is, and we found out that at eight years old, Jimmy Superstar, you know, kicked a sister and he spit on his mom and he shoved a dog. Uh, he's bad. Uh. Okay, spew out any condemnation on a Christian. It doesn't stick. Verse 31, if God be for you, and he is, then who can be against you? Okay, so let's just make our against you list, all right? The unbelieving world is opposed to us. Our indwelling sin is is a powerful adversary against us. Death is still an enemy. It's defeated, but it hasn't been destroyed yet. And there's the devil and all his minions, the powers and principalities who who are mentioned there in verse 38. They are against us. Indeed, the world, people, the flesh, and the devil, they are all together. And they're like marshaled into one mighty army against us. And they're much too strong for us. And they have big books of all our sin and and big, big books of all our internal thoughts that we want no one to know of. There's a quote, sometimes under calamity, the world, the whole universe seems to be against us. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah? (laughs) Well, you know, last week I got up at 5 a.m. and I prayed till 7 a.m. and I read my Bible till 9 a.m. Oh, (laughs) it's great that you did that. But is that our defense? Verse 31, God is for you. Better, God is for us. For us, Christian. He is for you and me and us in Christ. (laughs) That, That is profound. 
That, that is amazing. Richard Sibbs from an earlier generation, shall our sins discourage us from the throne of grace when Jesus appears there to intercede only for sinners? Spurgeon, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, I stake my whole eternity on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. It's my only hope. And I hope it's yours too. Let's pray. And thank you for your time and attention this morning. Father, thank you for covering us with the perfect righteousness of your Son. And please, by your Spirit, press the gospel deeply into our hearts and sanctify us, God, in our sins and strengthen us to believe and, and probably, God, to believe when, when moments like this aren't there, but those harder moments. Strengthen us to believe that everything about Jesus not only is coming to us, but is true about us because of his suffering and death on the cross. So make Christ known to us in a more profoundly deeper way. Make his beauty more real to us. And in the deepest part of us, keep whispering that you love us, that you love us, that you love us. And rescue us then, then from our fallen nature and our unbelief. And help us, this might be the biggest request this morning, help us to understand how dear we are to you because of Christ. Faith in Christ. For Jesus' sake, we, we ask these things. And once again, God, may the mothers of this congregation know your blessing on this day. And every lady in this congregation know how cherished they are. And we pray this to the praise of your glory. Amen and amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.